Welcome to Fireside Nets with Spen and Nick, brought to you by Empire Sports Media. I am one of your hosts, Spen. I'm trying to do like an Empire Sports Media thing with my hands. He's Nick, and we are in the midst of playoff basketball for the Brooklyn Nets, Nick. Hell yeah, we are. We are four games in. The Nets lead the dreaded Boston Celtics. Ugh, yuck. It's like Porum. When you hear the Celtics, everyone has to boo, right? The Celtics, For those of you who don't know, Porum is like Jewish Halloween. So you have to say that the Celtics would be equal to Haman in, Haman in that Porum like, analogy. is like Hitler, but thousands of years ago. Okay. It's, we're not even two minutes in. You dropped a Hitler reference. Enough. It's not um, a Hitler reference. It's a Hitler analogy. Nets lead the Celtics three games to one. Let's start with game four that was played on Sunday. I vaguely remember watching the game because I had had a few too many alcoholic beverages at a at a friend's father's 60th birthday party. So it was a joyous occasion. I had some shots of tequila. Some anyway, enough that about my cool. drinks. Uh, so I rewatched the game. I rewatched the game in the morning, and okay. I was very happy with with the result. Yeah, as you should be. We took a lead in the second quarter and didn't give it up for the next, uh, uh, you know, 25 minutes. What I'll say before we start talking about the good things in this game is I took a bet at halftime. Blake Griffin over three and a half points. He had zero at the time. I needed two buckets in the second half. He gets a nice layup in the first two minutes of the second half. That's two points. I need one more bucket. He beefs another layup just bricks it off the backboard, plays six minutes in the third quarter, and then it gets benched the end of the third quarter all the way through the fourth quarter, granted because Bruce Brown was just his touch around the room was impeccable. I I can't really fault you, plus Tristan Thompson wasn't going back in, so you didn't really need a big there. But God damn it, Blake, you finish with two points as the starting five for this team in the playoffs when the team scores 141? I love you, Blake, but I was disappointed. Did you really just start off our breakdown of – Game four with your personal tirade against Blake Griffin? It wasn't against Blake Griffin, just this specific game of Blake Griffin. Again, no hard feeling towards who I would call Blake the Snake. All right, so here's what happened in this game. Kyrie or, Irvin, or Blake O'Malfoy. Kyrie Irvin, who had had a really rough game three, couldn't score the, couldn't score the rock, uh, just wasn't playing like himself, came alive in game four. 39 points for him. He was getting to the line. He was hitting his threes. He was pretty much making every shot he took. Kevin Durant, I believe, ended up with 42, Nick? Could you? Yeah, 42 yes, points for KD. And then Harden had had a 20-plus 18-assist night. I think 21 points and 18 assists for James Harden. What did I say about thinking? We just have – you just got to have the numbers in front of you. We had 23 points, 18 assists, and five rebounds. Yeah, I was close. I was two off. Anyway – they showed up. That was, you know, that was the game where Kyrie needed a bounce back. And and Boston had flexed in game three. We felt the physicality. I, I woke up that morning, Nick, on Sunday morning, and I said, the Nets are going to handle business tonight. That was my mantra. That's exactly what they did. They probably played the most complete game offensively 
maybe in the era of the big three so far? I mean, if you look at the field goal percentage comparison, yes, they they, they hit 60% of their shots. We shot 58% from the field, 59% from three. I mean, when that happens, when your best players, the big three, arguably top, you know, Harden and Durant, top five players in the league, Irving probably top 10, are hitting their shots, are all shooting 60% or above, we cannot lose the game. Now, granted, Celtics are missing Jalen Brown, who is arguably their second best player. Some people think his value would actually put him as their best player, even though offensively uh, Tatum averages more. We're going against a weak team. Um, so I will give in somewhat of the Celtics defense, yes, like we played our hearts out. We could not miss a shot. It was unbelievable. Against any team with that big three, we will win that game. Okay. It was pretty handed against a lowly Celtics team. But if that happens, I don't see a situation where we shoot 59% from three, 58% from the field and lose. Durant scoring 42, which by the way, was like overshadowed by Kyrie's 39 somehow. Like you, you look at the end of the game and you're like, wait, Durant had more than Kyrie. Kyrie literally took over. And then Durant towards the end could not miss. And we just kept pushing to the end, right? And the Celtics were doing this weird thing where like Naismith and Tatum, Marcus Smart even, like we'd go up 28 and they'd always cut it to like 18. Like we couldn't get the full breakaway to bench our starters, right? So we went up like 28 at one point, they cut it back down to 18. We'd go up 26, they'd cut it down to 19 or 20. So it was a weird game where I think our starters were able to pad their stats because the Celtics somehow kept, kept cutting it like remotely close enough for us not to just empty our bench until I think there were two or three minutes left. So overall, unbelievable shooting night. The Celtics are not great besides Tatum at this point, who I will give props to for stepping it up in games three and four, something that Julius Randle could learn from. Oof, we're going there? And again, I got to give props to Bruce Brown, who ended up being that guy in the fourth quarter. I think he played 10 minutes in the fourth quarter, replacing Blake Griffin kind of with that power five to end it. And everywhere he around the rim, he put it in. Like it was like a three foot floater, a little layup back door. Once Durant or Irving or Harden drew a double, Bruce Brown was wide open, cutting down low. His off ball movement was amazing. And that's why you're in that spot in the last few minutes over. My favorite thing that Bruce Brown does on the basketball court is he finds open space. So you'll see Durant will be double teamed and there will be an open space in the middle of the zone. Brown is always making that cut to the middle so so he can get the pass from Durant and do his patented little floater he does. Brown's great. 14 points for him, seven rebounds. Um, I got to give it to my man, Nick Claxton. You know, you and I have been very critical of Clax over the first three games. He finally remembered that his value lies on the defensive side of the ball game. And he had, what, what did he have? Four blocks in this one. He was a plus 14. He did not score in eight minutes, but he just – he gave them eight really good minutes. And and I just – you know, it, it sounds like nothing, but I enjoyed those four blocks. Those were big on Clax. Um, it looks like nothing too. He finished with 0. 0.0 assists and one rebound. So knock I like how you're really no. focusing you can't on mon- You can't knock the plus minus 14. Uh, Joe Harris, speaking of 14, he had 14 points, four of five from three. He has looked to kind of – fix his off night from game three where he, where he couldn't hit anything. That was just a weird anomaly. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the big three scored all the points and that was that. Um, and on, on the Celtics side of the ball, they're, they're just, they're running out of, of guys. I mean, no Kemba Walker in this one, no Robert Williams, 
Kevin Durant, just every single time he had Grant Williams on him, it was a bucket. Marcus Smart, bucket. Jason Tatum, most most times, bucket. Tristan Thompson, easy bucket. There's no one on the Celtics that can guard Durant anywhere close to what I think Giannis will be able to do in the next round, which is still not quite shut him down. You know, there's one point I want to make, and this kind of goes across the board in all games, and it's a question I have for you. First of all, Shamit. Mm, not seeing much on that side. Uh, but in terms of bench players, right, we lost Jeff right. Green, which we'll get into for this series, and we can talk about that injury, and you can give an injury update in a few when we talk about the game he got hurt in. But Bruce Brown, in my opinion right now, is our best guy off the bench. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would I would agree with that. And I actually think that Bruce Brown can play the five whenever Nash needs him to. I agree. I, I We are huge Bruce Brown fans in this house as well. We're all thinking about getting Brown jerseys. My question to you is, in the past couple games, why is Tyler Johnson the first sub off the bench coming in instead of Bruce Brown? It, that's an easy uh, answer. It's because Tyler Johnson can hit the three consistently, and the way the big three draw attention, guys like Tyler Johnson, Landry Shamit are going to have that, that wide-open three-pointer ready to go. Now, for some reason, Shamit has been in a funk the first three games, and you did not see Tyler Johnson in those first three games, really. So that's why I thought uh, – and, and actually, you saw Johnson in game three, but, but I think Johnson is stealing a few minutes away from Shamit because Shamit's in a funk. And, but, and why is, but why is Johnson stealing minutes from Bruce Brown? Who because is like because the Tyler Johnson can hit the three, and Brown can't. That's it. How consistently? It's, Bruce Brown had 14 points last game. I think 10 of them were in the fourth quarter. What did Tyler Johnson have? Johnson had two points in 16 minutes. He was one of one from the field. And we're not going to – look, they were both in the in the plus category, I believe. I'm just saying Actually, if you're Brown going in terms of a valuable player, Brown 14.7 rebounds. I'm Tyler just telling Johnson, you the rationale behind Nash's move. That, that's okay. what I'm telling you. I mean, I'm telling you I disagree with it. Okay. A lot of chippiness in this one. I mean, KD has been drawing with the Celtics forever. Uh, after the game, Kyrie Irving takes a stomp on the Celtics logo – I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but Celtics fans freaked out. Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, I'm sorry, Kevin Garnett and Glenn Davis had something to say about it, not Paul Pierce uh, yet. But what did you think of that move by Kyrie to stomp on the Celtics logo? Did I think it warranted a water bottle being chucked at him? No. We're not, think- we're, we're not even talking about that yet. We'll get to the water bottle. I know, but that's my point. Do I think it – Do I think it? listen, he talks about subtle racism amongst Celtics fans – from my experience in Boston, from what I've seen, you know, in playoffs and past playoffs, Boston fans are kind of dicks. They they are intense. They're aggressive. I don't see that in a lot of other places uh, besides Boston. Not to throw shade, I love Boston, great city. So, do I think? Do I think it was deserved? No. Do I think he should have done it? No. Do I think people are making too big of a deal out of it? Yeah. I mean, he gets shit on by the Celtics. Like, go through everything uh, Boston media has said about him. Every fan who is a Celtics fan literally talks beyond shit about Kyrie. He's a me guy. He had a bad attitude. We're so glad he left. We'd rather have Kemba, which is kind of funny if you'd rather have Kemba than Kyrie. That can't be true. And he gets so much shade. Okay. He had an incredible game. He put the freaking team on his back. Not that we needed it. And he had 39 points. He could not miss. He was an unbelievable talent to watch. They're screaming at him during free throws. He didn't miss a free throw. And then he wants to say a little bit of a fuck you at the end of the game. Did he flip off fans? Was he talking shit? Did he tweet some crazy stuff? No. He went to the center court. He just wiped his foot on the logo saying, hey, 
I had a great game tonight. I'm done with this organization, all the shit you've talked about me. So if people are going to say that was so beyond disrespectful and like that was like disgusting, fuck off. Okay, it wasn't that bad. He was just trying to prove a point that he got his and he's and he's playing through it and he has some disdain towards the organization. So uh, in hindsight, I'll give it a three out of ten on the fucked up scale. They're just both sides are never going to agree with each other. I mean, Celtics fans are forever going to dislike Kyrie, and for whatever reason, they just don't like the man. He played for the organization, said he was going to stay, decided to leave. People changed their minds. That's basketball. Celtics fans have held this against him for a while, and they just want to see him fail. Um, and then on the other side of things, like like Kyrie, uh, he had a water bottle thrown his thrown at his head. I'm sure he gets it on social media from people from Massachusetts. Like he is definitely the recipient of a ton of wh- whatever you want to call it, criticism, slander, however you want to say it. Um, and, and that leads to that moment that right after the game, he's headed into the tunnel. Some drunken fan in a Garnett jersey, throws a water bottle, misses him. Tyler Johnson reacts. Kyrie reacts. The, 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 the clip kind of went viral. That was that moment where they kind of saw the water bottle being thrown. Um, police arrested, apprehended the man, and he is banned for life. So that dude should be castrated. Yeah, this this is a – What is that, the third incident? We have someone spitting on Trey Young. We have yep. someone dropping popcorn on Westbrook. Russell, Westbrook we have someone yeah. throwing a bottle. Like, yeah, listen, guys, we're excited to be back in the stadium too, okay, in the arena. Me and Spen had an unbelievable time. It was It was so cool to be back watching live basketball. What the hell is wrong with people? You know, it's I, disgusting. I, I always, I always said this: like, either they're extremely wasted and they are the world's worst drunk of all time, and they should be sober and quit drinking, or they're sober and they're just that mentally not well, where they think it's okay to throw a water bottle at another human being. Um, after the game, after the game, Durant and Kyrie both referred to themselves, or both said that they felt in that moment like circus animals. Like, know, this is not a zoo. And this is not a show. Up. That's extremely fucked up. And it's and, true. Uh, it's, it's what it seems like is, you know, basketball players are, it's, these fans are acting like it's purely entertainment. These are not real humans with real human feelings. And they could cheer in them and idolize them when they get what they want. And if not, they could spit on them and throw shit at them and, and throw them in the trash. So that to me, it's sad to see that in Boston. It's sad to see it, uh, or is it New York with Trey Young? And in, in Philadelphia, um, also just coincidence, all East teams. I guess the the West is a little. Actually, no. Utah Jazz fans said some really messed yeah, up stuff. Yeah, well, they they have a history like. history of racism over there in Utah. But I'll say this, and then we'll move on because I don't think that the situation warrants a ton of our attention because of how stupid the person is, and they were banned. And hopefully, the Celtics. I think the NBA banned him. Hopefully, the Celtics come out and and, and ban him as well. This is his name was Cole Buckley. Cole Buckley of Braintree, Massachusetts, identifies as fan who allegedly threw bottle at Kyrie Irving. I mean, could this guy not be any more from Massachusetts? From Braintree, Cole Buckley, he's in a Garnet jersey. My God. Um, yeah, you're an idiot, Cole. Just like wow, wait, I just want to say one because I Google Cole Buckley and it says Cole Buckley could be looking at 10 years in jail for throwing water bottle at Kyrie Irving. Is that true? I mean, I, I, yeah, it, it could be. He's definitely uh, he's definitely going to be in there for something. You, you can't throw water bottles at people. That's 
That's just not right. Okay, they're saying more realistic. He might end up with six months or a year. Hey, still put this guy behind bars. That was that was despicable. That was that was the uh, that was the point in that. Nick, I want to get to another point, and that I'm I'm talking about a razor here. I'm talking about manscaped razors. You use them to shave and trim your pubes. Your pubes mm. are the hair around your your crotch, your private area. Ooh, the the pubes, as the French say. Sure, if you will. Um, Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com and type in the promo code FIRESIDE in all capital letters. You will get 20% off. Again, FIRESIDE, all caps, 20% off. Guys, these are some of the smoothest, best, safest trimmers you could find. If you want your downstairs looking as pretty as my upstairs, you can't see me unless you're watching on YouTube right now. I have this nice little goatee I'm growing in. Super neat, trimming the mustache, trimming the beard. You could match that. Okay, manscaped.com, code Fireside for 20% off. I know you've been saving up for a razor. You want to buy something nice. You're probably using a, the razor on, on your face and your crotch at the same time, which, you know, is okay every couple days, but then you start to question whether or not you're going to get pink eye or some shit from mixing fluids. So manscaped.com, check it out. Use code Fireside for 20% off. There you go. Nick, which game would you prefer to talk about next, game two or game three? Let's talk about game two because we were there, my guy. We were there. We uh, we pre-gamed at Nick's apartment in Brooklyn, had a, had a beer and a burger, and thank you very much for hosting us. Dinner was lovely, me and my girlfriend, Victoria. We took an Uber to the game. We were now she's late. my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's, uh, that's not factual. Sure. Now, um, so we get to the game with like seven or six minutes left in the first quarter, but the score was already 22 to 13, I think. As we were walking around the arena to get to our seats, we heard the crowd go crazy because Joe Harris was dropping threes early in that game. The second I sat down, Nick, I noticed that the atmosphere at the Barkley Center was fucking dope. It was electric. People were making noise, standing on their feet. You heard the Brooklyn chant a million times, and it was it was a very, very fun atmosphere, so much so my girlfriend – Victoria is now like addicted. She wants to go next round and the following round. And if we're in the finals, she wants to go to those games as well. Yeah, no, this, this, I mean, it was a blast dude. being at the game. The crowd energy was there. We're sitting in the vaccinated section. So we didn't have to wear masks. It, it actually felt like getting back to normal life and being at a live basketball game. And the fact of the matter was it was the right game to be at. Right. I mean, unless we were at the game uh, two nights ago on Sunday as well, kind of a similar vibe, the nets were hitting their shots. We were playing tight defense. We were breaking out in transition. Blake Griffin had like two posterizing dunks. Jeff Green was slamming it home. Joe Harris finished with 25 points. He could not miss the basketball. Durant, 26. Uh, Harden, 20. And then go around to our bench, guys, right? We had Shamit with 10. We had Bruce Brown with 6 points, 8 rebounds. We had Jeff Green. With, uh, did Jeff Green actually get the start over Griffin at the time? Uh, Jeff Green, no, he six. didn't. And so six points for Jeff Green off the bench. So all around a great performance. And if you look at the Celtics, not one guy on the team uh, scored into the 20-point range. We had Marcus Smart with a high at 19, Fournier 16. And I will give props to Fournier, who had a very rough start to being a Celtic, has stepped up in this postseason and is hitting his open shots, playing aggressive and confident. So I never thought Fournier should be that third or fourth guy on the team. I still don't think they're strong enough, but he is doing what they need him to do to put them in a place to win. They're just not getting that help from other pieces of the puzzle. So Tristan Thompson, 15 and 11 in this game. Um, I think the key thing here to note, which we'll get to, is the Jason Tatum dramatic 
exit to the game, there was a point, what was it, beginning of the third quarter or end of the second quarter, Spen? Uh, I don't remember, but it was a Captain Insano shows no mercy moment. Shout out the water boy, where essentially uh, Tatum came up on Durant's blind side and he tried to grab the ball from Durant after Durant had just grabbed a defensive rebound. Durant reacted. Tatum somehow got the ball, but then kind of like took a few steps and collapsed. It was so interesting. And you know what's so funny? NBA players who are hurt, right? Even if they freaking break their arm on a play, will usually turn, pass the ball off to another player, maybe call a timeout, and then go off. This dude had a extremely minor poke in the eye, which I don't think was real. I think he might have gotten touched and then realized they were getting crushed and didn't want to play the rest of the game because he was playing so awfully. But he couldn't get the ball to a teammate. He, like, stumbled as if he was on stage and just collapsed, letting the ball roll out of bounds for a turnover. I was like the most overdramatized theatrical thing I've ever seen from somebody getting literally poked in the eye. Now, I played pickup basketball, okay, uh, yesterday, Monday, Memorial Day, and my buddy fell down, popped his shoulder out of place. He dislocated his shoulder mid-play, and this dude got up, made a joke, and walked to the ER. Jason Tatum on the biggest stage of basketball got a poke to his eye, slowly stumbling, collapsing out of bounds as if he had been shot by John Wilkes Booth. It was honestly sad to watch. And even Celtics fans who I was messing with said, yeah, that didn't seem like a real thing. It was never talked about again. He came back perfectly fine in game three. It was he was embarrassed, but he was losing so badly. He was embarrassed he couldn't hit a shot. And he took the first pathetic excuse he did to get out of that game and sit for the rest of the game. Now, granted, he scored 50 and 40 in the last two games, and he's looked unbelievable. So maybe he needed that little refresh. But that, to me, was really just kind of lame. He reacted like someone had just dropped a, a vat of acid on his face. That's how he reacted. Um, the big three were, were dominant in this one. I, I mean, actually, not as dominant as game four, as uh, was it? Yeah, game four, but KD with 26, eight of 12. Joe Harris had 25, nine of 14, seven of 10 from three. James Harden with 20 points, six of 12 from the field, four of eight from three, and, and seven assists for him. Kyrie only 15 in this one. Uh, but Kyrie was, was was still in the plus. He was a plus minus 19. He was a plus 19. And um, just, yeah, every role player. Like, like you, you, I think you, you said it perfectly, Nick. All the role players scored with the exception of Nick Claxton and TLC. Those are the only two guys who got play that did not score. Um, but Tyler Johnson, Bruce Brown, Mike James. It was nice to see Shamit had 10 points in this one. Uh, I'll, I'll bet most of those were in garbage time. And it's, always this, a, it's always a successful game when Alizé Johnson gets on Yes. The yeah, I just saw his name. I saw he had two points. I'm happy about that. I think it was actually a sick dunk, right? Those were his two points. I believe so. Honestly, he's kind of like our taco fall, right? At the end of every Celtics game, they're chanting taco. We should be chanting Alizé. I think Alizé is better than taco because taco is kind of like a novelty tall guy factor. But Alizé is the guy to me where it's like, dude, get this man on the court. Have him do something flashy. He's a freak athlete. It was fun to watch. Definitely a great game to be at. Um, there, I'm trying to think of what the highlight or, or one of the highlight plays were. Um, Dude, Blake Griffin and one dunk slammed it home from the baseline. Two two times, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. I wanted to say Blake Griffin, but now you're, you're jogging my memory. All right, Nick. Let's move on to this game three. Uh, this was the one game that had the Nets stumbling. Kyrie Irving. A really, really bad game for him. Um, he only had 16 points. He was 6 of 17 from the field. 
And he, he, you know, he was bad. Tatum erupted. Tatum had 50. Like you said, maybe he needed to be poked in the eye to get motivated. But uh, a 50 burger from him. You tack on a 19 and 13 night from Tristan Thompson. He looked like 2016 Tristan Thompson, the way he was playing. Uh, Marcus Smart with 23, 8 of 11 from the field. So an efficient shooting night for Marcus Smart, which is you just don't hear that a lot. And then Fournier chipped in 17 as well. Those are really the only guys who did anything for Boston, but that was more than the Nets. Kevin Durant had 39 and 9 rebounds. Harden had 41, 10 assists, and 7 rebounds. And nobody else did dick. Everybody else was useless. Um, Joe Harris looked like he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. I think he, I think he airball, I think he airballed the three oh. and then bricked a three off the backboard. He had some this. ugly looking shots. Claxton was a minus twenty one in this, and Shamit was a minus twenty six. Those guys just did not come to play. Uh, the whole team didn't come to play. I mean, they they, they got they got punked by the Celtics on the road. Um, this, this caused me to worry for like a day and I'll tell you why the thing that's been kind of concerning for me since the playoffs started end of the regular season, LaMarcus Aldridge's retirement, Jeff Green's injury, our front court is very limited. Now green got injured in game two. So we, he wasn't there for the rest of game two. He wasn't there for game three. And you see when it's just Blake Griffin and an inexperienced Nick Claxton, and those are your two big men. There are going to be nights where a Tristan Thompson goes off or you see Robin Lopez in that on that Washington team. Like a mediocre center can kill you that way. And we have to play the Bucks next round. They got Brooke Lopez, who's not a big rebounder, but Bobby Portis, Giannis Antetokounmpo. How are we going to handle the boards? Now, we'll get to that in a little bit because I do want to talk about Milwaukee. But, yeah, this this for me, this is that one game where in the regular season you watch Kyrie and you know he's so hot and cold that when he's cold, it's going to kill him. This was that game, plus the fact that our front court was non-existent. Tatum goes for 50. We lost. And just to, to let everyone know here, most of you probably know already, Jeff Green has a strained plantar fascia in his foot. Uh, he's expected to miss 10 games since the injury, which was on Tuesday the 25th. So he should be back uh, ideally for the start of the second round. Uh, pending we obviously close out the Celtics in the next game. Now, I, here's what I'll tell you. I agree with you 100%, and this is something that I said to you uh, a, a couple weeks ago was a concern of mine going into the playoffs was rebounding. I said that, and you were like, you're talking about a concern. We just finished the season out strong. Yeah, we did, dude. But when Tristan Thompson, the ghost of 2010 Tristan Thompson, is getting a double-double and, what is it, I think eight offensive boards – that's a concern when we have Blake Griffin and Nick Claxton down low. Like you said, this is where losing LaMarcus really hurts us because this is the exact recipe to have for how to beat the Nets. The Celtics did it, right? It was out-rebound us. It was have your superstar, Jason Tatum, literally take anybody and everybody to the rack. I mean, he, he could not miss no matter who was on him. And then get us to a point with the last six to eight minutes in the game where you have, and this is, and this is, I, I said this to you before, this is where the NBA foul calls are getting really soft. Every other play, someone is just pulling a Trey Young and drawing a foul. And the Celtics had a, about a five to eight point lead. And then in the last uh, few minutes of the fourth quarter, and I believe anybody team could do any team could do this. They just held that lead by every other play drawing a foul. 
he, if Tatum didn't have an open shot, he would pump fake and drive into someone. If Marcus Smart didn't have Marcus Smart didn't have an open shot, he would somehow run into someone and get slapped in the arm, or supposedly look like he got slapped in the arm to draw a foul. So the Celtics did all of the the necessary pieces to stay with us to the end of the game, and then drew enough fouls, acted enough, flopped enough to get those calls to the free throw line. And that's not a Celtics problem. I think that's a concern for mine with the league. Any team now with a reasonable cushion, if even it's not a couple points in the last few minutes, literally has to pump fake a couple times and they will get a foul call. Um, but I will give credit where credit's due because Tatum was unbelievable, right? And this is a bounce back game one and two where he played terribly. He could not miss a shot no matter who we put on with a guy in his face. It was really fun to watch if you are not a Nets fan because that was just – I mean, his, his shooting was so smooth. He was stroking it. He was feeling it beyond measure. So – Yes, was that an anomaly that I don't think this particular performance is ever going to happen again against the Celtics? No, but like you said, the Bucks are big. They are a big team. We have Brooke Lopez down low, who's going to have some sort of vengeance against the Nets. They have Giannis, who's what, 6'11", yeah, and is handling pretty, the ball most of the time. It's pretty tall. I mean, that to me is is a huge concern going forward if we play a team. The Celtics aren't that big of a team. They're not. They're they're not that big of a team. Um, the the moment I knew Tatum had it going wasn't even on offense. He defensively he stuffed Durant like stuffed him, and nobody ever stuffs Durant. So when I saw that, I was like, yeah, they're they're gonna they're gonna take this one. Um, but yeah, I I mean we can be concerned with the front court all we want. We're up three games to one. You know I I can't be too upset with the fact that most of our role players have been inconsistent thus far. Harden and Durant have been unstoppable through through four games. Kyrie's had a few duds, but hopefully this game four wakes him up. And what are your predictions, Nick, going into game five later today, tonight? Um, do you think we close it out in the Barkley Center, or do we have to go back to Boston for a game six? No, we're going to close it out, uh, I think, pretty handedly. I'm not super concerned about the next game. What I am, the only thing I will say that needs to happen going forward, and obviously we made up for our game three loss last game by not missing a shot. I need Joe Harris to play more consistently. Okay, I can't have Joe Harris drop 25 one game and then look like he forgot how to shot a basketball in the next game. He needs to be within that 9 to 16 point scoring range for us to win. Obviously, the more the better. But if Joe Harris is not hitting his open threes, if he is off, right? And what happened in game three was he lost his confidence and by the fourth quarter was no longer shooting them. He, he, he knew he was off and was passing the ball off. Now, what does that mean? That means that when Durant, Harden, and Kyrie draw attention, you could sag off Harris and double team one of our superstars because Harris is not hitting those open shots. Then maybe Nash pulls him and puts in Shamit. Great. Shamit's not hitting his open threes. Okay, bring in Tyler Johnson, who I've already voiced my complaint about. I, I like Tyler Johnson. Is he the guy I want to be in in crunch time taking three-pointers? Absolutely well, well, not. You, so, just, you, just, you just named three different options, though. So there, Those there, are you, options, but the options aren't consistent. And Joe right, Harris but, is the but, best But do you think that the three, all three of those guys are going to be cold on the same night? I mean, it's possible. They were last not, game. But it's not really like, like, yeah, game three they were. Right. That's the anomaly, though. I don't think that – see, that's not as much of a concern for me because uh, those guys are Joe Harris had, What did Joe Harris do last game? He had 14 points. So it was not a great – we scored he 140. Shot, he shot well. He shot well from the field. He was fine. He, he I mean, a lot of shots. I'll, I'll Obviously, say he didn't get the ball out when those other guys were scoring. 
I think we're going to win tonight. I, I don't think it's going to be close. I think the spread was like 12, 12 and a half. I think it's going to be a 15 to 20 point win. Um, what I will say is when the team is, is, is cooking on offense, it's because there's a rhythm to it. It's because they're moving the ball. It's because they're running the offense through Kevin Durant. Maybe James Harden is just running the offense through his his mind because cerebral, cerebral, cerebrally, James Harden's one of the smartest players in the league. And, and he can just – he knows where to go with the basketball. Game three was that kind of game where the offense just wasn't flowing. Guys were missing shots. Kyrie was trying to get his, couldn't. KD and Harden scored a, a million in that game, but it was in a losing effort. My, my, my point is, if the Nets offense is going to play like they did on Sunday night against the Bucks, against the Sixers, against whoever, they're going to the finals. It's not even going to be close. If those three guys are, are on like that, and Joe Harris and Bruce Brown and, and Nick Claxton can do the bare minimum, good luck to any other team in the East. Good luck, as Liam yeah. Beeson said once. And I got to say, man, uh, not only as a Nets fan, but as a basketball fan, Kevin Durant is the best shooter I have ever seen. I mean, ever, besides maybe ever. Steph Curry oh. this year who went off, Kevin Durant does not miss shots. Like, no matter what the situation is, guy in his face, three-pointer, fading baseline, uh, whether he has to take two like enormous steps and dunk it, he is the best scorer I might I may have ever seen live. Did you, did you just say enormous? Like enormous. Like enormous. But with no, no, no. did I actually say enormous? I think you said enormous. Anyway, enormous steps. He just takes like lunges to the hoop. He he's he is so fun to watch, dude. And like I, you know, it's funny. Kevin Durant, I know, has so many haters. He's kind of one of those things where if he's on your team, you love him. If he's not, you hate him. But you cannot hate on a guy who literally, no matter what the situation, no matter who is guarding him in crunch time is just stroking it and it doesn't hit anything but net and his and his little like we talked a little bit about him and marcus smart's beef last game of like mark he slapped marcus arms arm yep. down and then smart pushed him and then you just see durant jawing with tristan thompson and kemba walker while and he's, Fournier, he's, he's jawing with he's a Williams. shit talker because he's not like a smooth like saying clever things he's more just defending himself you could see it in his voice like there's that kid who you kind of talk shit to and instead of giving it back like yo bro i'm gonna take you on the next play he's like i am a really good basketball player and look what i could do on the court look uh but he proves it so it, it, to, to me it's crazy the amount of celtics that are comfortable talking shit to kevin durant because it's I mean, like he's a why scrawny guy why, why though evan fournier what do you have to say to kevin durant grant williams what do you have to say to kevin durant it, it just it boggles my mind that like they think they're good enough to talk shit like that but the last thing I want to say about this series, because I brought up his name a few times, Evan Fournier is such a bad defender. I, I mean, I think it almost takes away from the offense he gives you because defensively, every single net, like when he was he was covering them, would just destroy him. Jumper in his face. Harden was taking him to the rack. He would just fall down. Dance like a puppet. It was pathetic. Um, all right, Nick. We got to talk about Milwaukee. And by the way, quick update in the Sixers-Washington uh, game. The Sixers are, are up three games to nothing, but Embiid got hurt in this one. And Washington might steal a game. And I, I don't think Washington's going to come back by any stretch, but that's a, that's a little bit of a you know a rough patch that the Sixers might have to go through before they play the, the Hawks probably in the next round. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Trey Young's a stud. Oh, Why are we talking about the Bucks when we haven't won game five? Because – we gotta look. We gotta talk about. We gotta talk about our impending opponent. I mean, are you confident that we're gonna beat the Celtics or no? 
Yeah, but we haven't yet. So don't put that out there that like, don't jinx oh, it. Oh, okay. assuming it's done. One, can I ask you one Bucks question? Sure. Is it about Brooke Lopez? No. Okay. Are you scared of the Milwaukee Bucks? One, not being scared at all. Ten, being extremely pissing your pants, frightened. Rate rate your your level of fear of the Milwaukee Bucks. Seven. The Bucks are the only team in the league, I think, that I don't want to play. That I that I wouldn't want to play over the Bucks is the Sixers. Besides that, I really don't. I mean, those two teams are bad matchups for us. They are huge, big rebounding, athletic teams who can who could stroke it from three. So, like, yeah, I'm worried about the Bucks. Do I wish we were playing the Knicks, Hawks, Wizards, uh, Heat, or I guess that's it? Like, yeah, of course I do. Right. Of course I do. And the Bucks also are going to play ideally if we win the next game one less game than us. So they're going to be coming off a couple more days rest. Mm. It would be it would be silly of me to sit here and say I'm confident that we're going to be able to cruise past the Bucks. Well, now, uh, I, I never said, listen, if I give you my, my number, and my number is a four, uh, four is the level of fear out of 10 that I feel about the Milwaukee Bucks. Doesn't mean I think we're going to sweep them 4-0. I think it'll be a six-game series. I think we're the better team. I, I think you look at our three superstars. They have two superstars because I would say Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are both half of a superstar. Combine them, that's one superstar, plus Giannis. I love Drew Holiday. He's I, not I, a superstar. He's, he's half a superstar. He, he's not a superstar, but I will say this about the Bucks too, is remember what happened to them last year and the year before, and remember how much they choked, and remember how much Giannis couldn't hit a shot in crunch time, and then you literally look at them now in that first series against the former Eastern Conference final Miami Heat team, given they were beat up, given they're not looking the same, Hero all of a sudden forgets how to play basketball. Um, the Bucks did not waver against this Miami Heat team. Like once they got past that first game, they cruised, dude, and they look good and they hit their open shots and they have, I mean, granted say they're not better than us talent wise. They have more chemistry than us right now because they've played as a unit longer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't bother me. It just doesn't, it doesn't scare me. The one guy I don't want, you know, first of all, Dante DiVincenzo out important part of what they do. He's hurt. So I don't know how, how, if, if we'll see him at all or if he's out for the rest of the playoffs. Um, Bryn Forbes has been on a roll. Like in those four games, Forbes. Forbes has been automatic from three, and he's been a lot more consistent than Joe Harris has been for for our for our squad. So yeah, I mean their role players are playing very well. Um, guys, Can I propose like Pat, a nickname for Bryn Forbes. Sure, Forbes thirty under thirty. Forbes thirty under thirty. Pat Connaughton always gives Milwaukee good minutes. He, he's a tough player. Um, you you love Brooke Lopez. I mean, former net great. If, if, you know, one, one of the top five net centers of all time, I think. One of the um, best Brooklyn nets of all time. One of the best Brooklyn nets of all time. But, yeah, it'll be a tough series, but I am confident that our three superstars are better than anyone else they have. And even if the role players are slightly better than our role players, doesn't doesn't matter. And the one concern that we've mentioned a million times on the show, our front court is very limited in regards to rebounding. And guys like Blake Griffin, Nick Claxton, hopefully Jeff Green gets back healthy for that series. They're going to have to step up on the boards as well as Kevin Durant and and our guards. And the last thing I'll say, because I know we have concern on the front court as we wrap up this podcast, is the one uh, silver lining is Brooke Lopez is a stretch five. He's not a power five. He is he is not going to hang down low and and 
bang people under the boards. He will if he has to. He'll, I mean, against this Nets team, if he's playing smartly, he will hang uh, around the paint more and force Blake Griffin to try to push him out or force Claxton to play up on him, which I don't think both of them will be able to handle Brook Lopez down low as well. But Brook Lopez is that five that loves to stretch the floor. He loves to hit that baseline three or attempt many baseline threes. So again, uh, the only thing I would say is he's not Embiid. He's not Anthony Davis. He's not Andre Drummond. He's not going to literally destroy us. Even he's not Tristan Thompson in a sense that he's not a uh, a pure five um, who really only rebounds and does putbacks. He does like to shoot. So if we can keep Brook Lopez out of the paint, I would almost say net strategy against Brook Lopez, give him the three-point ball. Bro, stop talking about Brook Lopez like he's like the number one scoring option for the team. He's good. We have to stop Giannis. We have to stop Middleton. We have to I'm, stop you know, I'm more worried about the front court than I am Giannis. If you're if you're only what are you worried about Middleton and, and Drew Holiday outscoring Durant and Harden? No, I'm uh, I don't want to. I don't want to see. I don't want to see Middleton hot place. again in the fourth quarter. I'll tell you that much. I don't want to see Holiday hitting shots. These guys are are great regular season players, but I want to see them crumble in the playoffs. Um, all right, Nick. That wraps it up for this week of Fireside Nets with Spen and Nick. Brought to you by Empire Sports Media. Always a blast recording with you, little bro. Anything left for the audience? Stay true, stay golden, stay wise. Go Nets. We'll talk to you guys next week, hopefully when we're moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks. Catch you on the fireside.